So Jesus is, amen. So Jesus' resurrection. It, I want to mainly talk this morning about him, the fact that he brings life to things that are dead, but we've got to at least mention that Jesus' resurrection brings the hope of resurrection into eternal life to all believers. It also brings newness of life here in this world to us because of the resurrection. And then, as I've just mentioned, thirdly, that he's able to bring life out of things that feel dead. So he gives hope of the resurrected eternal life. If you've got a Bible, you can go with me to Matthew 27. And uh, you may say that's odd. If you're a Bible scholar, because we're actually looking at the crucifixion here. And you'll understand why we're starting here in a minute. And actually, we didn't have a chance to really celebrate Good Friday as a church community on Good Friday. So let's, let's look back at the crucifixion. Uh, in Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, Now, from the sixth hour, so in case you don't know the background here, Jesus is on a cross, nailed to a cross. He's been hanging there. And uh, it says, Now, from the sixth hour, and if you don't know, the sixth hour in that culture and time, they would measure from 6 a.m. So when they speak of the sixth hour, that's speaking of 12 p.m. So from 12 p.m. until the ninth hour, which would equate to what we say 3 p.m., there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, again 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice say, saying, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to point out very quickly that Jesus, in his final moments, dying on a cross, is not simply deciding to be a good Christian and start quoting scripture. His reference to that scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which comes from the Psalms, was actually David, who wrote the psalm, under a prophetic inspiration, saw through a spirit of prophecy this moment that Jesus would be standing in, and that out of the abundance of Jesus' heart, not because he's quoting a scripture, but because of what he's going through and what he's experiencing, would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to point out, Perhaps the obvious here, Jesus on the cross bore the sin of mankind. The Bible says, and we reference it often, that he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin for us. And this is what is happening here. What is, what is the reality of becoming sin? That means the wrath of God that is towards sin from a holy God was fully poured out on Jesus ultimately being separated from God because a holy God cannot co-abide with sin and Jesus experienced separation from God in completeness. The Father God in that moment experienced the pain of releasing his one and only Son to be completely bearing the full measure of the wrath of God all on his own without the empowerment of the Spirit of God. Are you following? And, the, and Jesus, the Son, experienced the full wrath of God without the presence of his Father and cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to just take stock right now that God ordained this for you. Put your name in there. 
This is what Jesus did for you. He bore that wrath so that you don't have to. And let me make it very clear, as we have recently, that does not mean that all of humanity will not suffer that wrath. That means an invitation is now out to all of humanity to say yes to Jesus by placing your faith in Jesus. And those you believe will not perish but have everlasting life. And so moving on, verse 47, we'll get to the resurrection. Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, they said, this man is calling out for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And the rest said, let him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And this, that right there is the moment. It's done. The work had been completed. Jesus fully died. He didn't metaphorically die. And the fact, for some of you know, the Holy Weekend, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. Holy Saturday is for that very reason. That it was not like he just kind of like died, but then, hey, he came back to life on the cross, and hey, he's back to life. No, we would maybe doubt if he really died if that had happened. He died. They took him down. He was verifiably dead. They put him in a grave. He was dead for all Saturday. It wasn't until Sunday. He died is what I'm getting at. And in this moment, there it is. He died. Verse 51, then behold, what happened at the moment of his death, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I won't go into the significance of that, but it is significant. And the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened. Now listen to this. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, which is a term that means they had died, were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I just want to quickly make some comments about this thing of the saints that have fallen asleep, being raised, and they actually come out of these graves after his resurrection. Now, the word used there as saints, hagios, and every other place in the New Testament means holy. So every time you see Holy Spirit, that's the Greek word hagios that's translated here as saints. The only, pl the only place where this word is used to refer to people is to refer to Christians. So there are some commentators and uh, Bible scholars who maybe believe that the saints that he's talking about is like old prophets, Jeremiah, perhaps Elijah coming back from the dead. But uh, most theologians would agree this is probably referring to those who had been following Jesus and had become believers in him and had died during his ministry. The, I would agree with that. The reason I would agree with that is because the Greek word is always referring to believers. And secondarily, if Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah came back into the holy city of Jerusalem, what would that have mattered? Like, no one knew what they looked like hundreds of years after they had died. You know, if somebody rises from the grave and walks through the city and says, hey, I'm Elijah, what do you think people are going to say? Like, yeah, sure you are, you know, and I'm Abraham, right? But if people who had been following Jesus, who were part of this community of people who had been following Jesus, everybody saw that they died, they were a part of the funeral perhaps, they knew that they were dead, and then they appear back in the holy city and appear after his resurrection, that would probably make an impact. Whoa! 
I mean, that's like, you know, uh, I don't want to use you as an example because, you know, we don't want to, but if somebody died, <laughs> none of you are about to die. But if somebody died in here and then a few weeks later we see them come back in here, we would be like, whoa, right? So after Jesus' resurrection, specifically believers who had passed away within a recent time, had to have been recent because this ministry was only three and a half years, were, were reconnecting with other believers. And this specifically didn't happen when Jesus died. It says coming out of the graves after his resurrection. Something happened in the resurrection of Jesus that enabled these to come out. I would imagine these believers reconnecting with believers who had been dead are probably thinking, this means something. What do you think that the message of God would be in this? That those who have chosen to place their faith in Jesus, because he came back from the dead, every single one of them will be resurrected into eternal life. And so what I'm saying to us this morning is because of Jesus' resurrection, we all live in the hope of the resurrection. Have we placed our faith in Jesus? Now, let me clarify what we mean by hope. We're not talking about, boy, I sure do hope I get resurrected. I hope so. That would be great. No. The word, as Rodney is often saying, hope is actually meaning expectation. Because we know that God has said we will rise from the dead, we live in the expectation of that actually fulfilling and happening one day. That brings comfort and courage to the believer. That our life is not about this earth. I mean, it is, it is, we live in this earth and there's purpose to be fulfilled, but it, our comfort, our home is not here. Our home is in eternity. And this life is to live out following Jesus to fulfill his purpose of bringing the kingdom of God to other people. That's the exciting thing that you and I are a part of. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. In other words, born again. Born again what? Born us again or begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. So he gives hope of resurrected eternal life. He also, the resurrection gives new life to us in this world. Romans 6.4 if you want to turn there, you can. It's just this one verse. Listen to this. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death. Uh, before we go on, let's, let's clarify that. We were buried with him in baptism unto death. When you get baptized, according to the scripture and many others, we are going under those waters to identify with the death of Jesus. There is no resurrection without death. And to place your faith in Jesus, what that means is that you see that he died for you, and in response, you die to yourself. You, there's, in other words, if Jesus is to become your Lord and your leader, it is impossible for him to be your Lord as long as you are maintaining control of your life. I want to make the gospel so clear this morning. It's not just believing stuff about Jesus. It is a declaration that he is Lord. He is King. He is, in fact, God. And he is 
to be the master of our lives, and he can't as long as you and I hold on to the reins. So if we're buried with him in baptism, that means we're identifying most fully in his death. And some of you start squirming in your seats saying, geez, this sounds bad. I'm not really sure if I want this. Well, it's the gospel, and let's read on. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That word walk is a word that the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, often uses to describe our course of living in this world, the way that we live out our lives here in this earth, that we should walk here in this earth in newness of life. Which is to say, this is not only about waiting for Jesus to come back so that we can be resurrected from the dead and we can go on into eternity. And that's when the fun stuff happens. That is saying that from the moment you place your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, comes and dwells inside of your physical body and gives you, if you yield to that Spirit, newness of life. A whole new definition of life. And as... As one who has experienced this, I can testify, we are not saying that your life just becomes easy. In fact, we're about to look at a scripture that's going to say quite the opposite. While, in fact, Jesus is able to bring dead things to life and do amazing things, it is in the context of this world is difficult. and, and, And when you become a Christian, you become a target to the spirits of this world that hate Christ and therefore hate those who follow him. Yeah, I'm not saying we, we be, it becomes easy. I'm saying there is a new dimension of life in this fallen world that we begin to walk in. Can I just share with you a couple things that I have experienced in newness of life? And I'm sure many of you others have experienced these same things. Just to kind of elaborate on what we're talking about. I think one of the most important things is he puts his spirit into us and he gives a spiritual relationship with him through that spirit. That has been one of the most amazing things over the past hour long I've been saved, 25 years, that his spirit now dwells inside of us. Here's another thing. He leads us away from sin and towards righteousness. You, you, you experience this newness of life, and he begins to cause you to feel bad about things that you never felt bad about. And he starts to cause you to want righteousness and holiness in ways that you had never even understood, but he gives the desire of it in your heart. He invites us to experience his presence. And this morning, I want you to know God wants you to not just know about him, but to actually encounter him. That's what Jesus is. He is the encounter of man with God. He invites us into regularly experiencing his presence He reveals his will to us. It's God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He gives us a calling into his own purpose. Isn't that amazing? That God has a purpose. And the way he has chosen to fulfill that earthly purpose is through sons and daughters. And he calls you and he calls me with a specific role and function. A calling in the purpose of God an identity of, of, uh, of being a, a son or a daughter of the king with a role and a function. It's, that's amazing. 
He puts his love for others into our heart. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You start caring about people and their souls and caring about whether they know him and that you care about them. And it's because he is in you and he died for them. He loves them and now you find yourself loving people. I didn't love like that before. People were probably valuable to me in so much as they benefited me. You know, if I'm honest. And now I find myself living in regular, way outside of my comfort zone for no other reason other than them encountering him at my expense. He puts his love for others into your heart. Our enemies even. He, he connects us with believers in deep spiritual bonds. We talked about that in community group on Wednesday night, just our appreciation for spiritual community. And it's not just relationship, it's a spiritual dynamic that we experience together. He renews our minds to begin thinking like him. He becomes our father and he helps us to grow up to become like him. And he uses the things in our life to give us opportunity to grow in him. This is newness of life. But what I want to mainly get at right now is what we're about to dive into is that he gives life to things that are dead in our lives. I've had, even as a believer, things that felt dead in my life. I mean, I've, I've had moments, some of you know, time periods where I was under addiction. I was caught in addiction. Some of you don't know what that's like. That feels like being in a prison cell. Sinning and repenting and sinning again and repenting again and the shame and the constant bombardment of never measuring up and feeling as though I am never, I cannot get out of this pattern of sin. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Addiction, a hopeless feeling, and you just feel like there's no way out. I'll tell you another one while we're on it. You encouraged yet? Having the joy of being a father, at, and, and we've always, Minda and I have never wanted to have designs on our, our kids' lives as far as what they must be or whatever, but I sensed early on that the Lord uh, revealed to me something of the calling on my son's lives. And I actually had a lady who is very prophetic, who knew nothing of what I sensed, specifically identify the calling on Peter and the calling on John David. And and something of the specificity with regards to Peter was I knew that his calling involved preaching the word. I was so elated as a father when that lady, Chanel Rousseau, said there's no way she could have known what I sensed in my heart. And she said by name his specific calling. And, it, and I remember bursting out into tears in joy. But you know what happened? When he was in first grade, we, we are pulled aside by his teacher. She says, I think Peter has a stutter. No. And then the agony of going through not only weeks, not only months, but years where Peter would struggle in social situations, even just to be able to articulate and communicate with people, being humiliated, standing in front of audiences, not being able to get, sorry to throw you under the bus here, Pete, 
but, but being humiliated multiple times in public, trying to say, trying to give a speech or, or be in a play or whatever, some of the most humiliating things, and it crushed me. And it didn't, it didn't stop. Seven turned into eight years old, turned into nine years old, turned into 10 years old, 11, 12, and the problems still persist. We prayed on him. We laid hands. We fasted. We shared the scripture. We spoke the scripture. We did all the stuff that you know to do, and nothing happened. I can remember also. <laughs> you can, you're encouraged yet? We moved. We were in ministry back in Georgia, 2008, and God calls us to South Africa. We moved to South Africa. While we're a couple years into South Africa, we felt the Lord say to us that he's going to open up a door of the ministry he had called us into and that we did not, we, could, we would be in disobedience if we renewed our contracts with our jobs in that, in that because if we did, it would, it would stop us from being able to step into this door. But this door of ministry that was going to open up, we didn't know what it was. But we, we, we felt like God had confirmed that to us. And, uh, but we kind of did know what it was. Because, I mean, we already were in communication with a pastoral leader who wanted to hire us, and we kind of knew that's what was going to happen. So we uh, had this conversation with our employer, and we say we cannot renew our contracts. And that meant, from that moment, that we had about six or seven months left for some door to open up for us to even be in that nation because of our visas didn't allow us just to apply for jobs or whatever. We had to have a religious work job open up for us to even re stay in the nation. And you know what happened right after we made that leap of faith and said we can't renew our contracts? The door that we thought was going to be the opportunity that we stepped into closed definitively. And there we are, like idiots, walking on water with no, no material guarantee at all of how we're going to keep ourselves from being deported and suffer total humiliation in that country. You encouraged yet? Can I tell you something? Jesus has delivered me from addiction. I am free today in a way that I did not even think possible from certain things that held me in a prison, and it's all because of Jesus. You know what else? You and I had the privilege of seeing that young man preach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You know what else? It was December that we needed to have some door open up in South Africa or else we were going to be deported, and it was in November that a door opened up and we stepped into the real purpose and calling of why God had originally sent us to South Africa. Can I say that those small, relatively speaking, situations that I just mentioned are evidence that this Jesus that we're talking about brings life from things that absolutely seem dead. And if he can do it from the grave, if he can do it in my life, he can do it in your life. And in any situation, in fact, I would go as far as to say, this is Jesus' specialty. This is, in fact, where Jesus is most comfortable, where you are least comfortable. That is what he does. He is the God of the impossible. He is the one who brings life out of things that are dead. Your impossibility, my friends, my impossibility, is simply an opportunity for Jesus. For us to grow in faith 
and for him to do what he does. Amen, Brenda? You feeling that? I'm feeling it for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says it this way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What is he talking about? He's talking about this thing of the newness of life. The gospel, the spirit of God is placed in earthen vessels. If you're looking at me right now, you're looking at an earthen vessel. This body and this face and this everything, this is, I'm decaying. I'm gonna, this is passing away. This is perishing. I have a sin nature. You know what I'm saying? It's an earthen vessel. It's corruptible. It's fallible. And yet the treasure is inside of this earthen vessel. Why do we have this treasure in earthen vessels? That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And you stand here this morning and you say, but I don't have the kind of education to really be used of God. I think God may laugh at that comment. And you say, but I don't have the money. How can I step out and do anything for God? I don't have the resource. And God laughs at that. He doesn't need anything. The excellence is of, of the power is of him in the absence of your own power. This is where he works best. His strength is perfected in our weakness. Paul goes as far as to say that he has decided to boast and to glory in his weaknesses. He's learned to, to actually, how many of you glory in your weaknesses, by the way? How many of you boast about that? How many of you love to be weak and, and, and to be a despairing and you don't have any hope and you don't know how you're going to get through? You like that, by the way? Paul, something had happened in the Apostle Paul that he be, said, I, that's what I boast about. Why? Because I have learned that that is where his power shines forth. It's where I'm weak, he's strong. He, he, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Anyone ever been there? Hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted. That means stuff has been sent against you to flee, so that you would flee and surrender and give up what you're doing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down. Anybody ever felt that before? Struck down, my friends. At the end, I, I, I've, I'm losing, I'm dangling with any sense of hope. I am struck down, but not destroyed. I found myself praying the other day in response to what this young lady preached about being real, and I just started pouring out my soul to God about the problems that I had, and you know what began to happen within about two or three minutes? I began to realize, but God, I've got this house, but God, I've got this car, God, I've got this family, God, I've got this church family, God, I do have this, this, and this. I realized, you know what, I'm not destroyed. I'm not in despair. I'm not hopeless. You following let me tell you something. Well, let me just finish this. <laughs> Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. I know we don't like that, but welcome, welcome to living for Jesus in this world. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. We start to see the beauty of the purpose of suffering and difficulties in this wor world are really opportunity for us to lean heavily onto Jesus because our pride keeps us from naturally leaning on Jesus. 
and we learn that the difficulties and the things that we go through in this earth become an opportunity to feel and finally reach that place where I, you confess, Jesus, I have to have you. I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want. Save me from this situation. I'll follow you. You follow what I'm saying? That's when he's got you. That's when he can show himself strong. I actually need difficulties to keep myself in that place. Why? That the, that the, how does he say it? The life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Can I tell you a little story about our friend named Lazarus? Maybe you know something of him. Let's give a little background on Lazarus. Jesus has uh, two ladies, their sisters, Mary and Martha, and he loved them, and their brother's name was, uh, was Lazarus, and Jesus is out doing what he does. He's out ministering, and he happened to be around the Jordan River, and he was doing what he does. He's preaching the gospel. He's working miracles, and he gets a uh, report. You know, back then they didn't have uh, text or, you know, Snapchat, and uh, so they had to send an actual person to Jesus to tell him, hey, Jesus, Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, back in the city of Bethany, a few, a few days' journey, he's dying. He's, he's sick, and we, we're quite sure that he's, he's dying. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus in this time, what are you used to seeing? Jesus is healing like everybody. And so that's why they go to Jesus. Like, Lazarus is sick. He's probably going to die. Well, we know Jesus. Jesus can come here, and he can lay hands on him and, 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 and heal him from heal his sickness. So let's do that. And Jesus' response is, he's not sick unto death, but that the Son of God may be glorified. And, uh, and Jesus decides to camp out at this place on the Jordan, and he stays two full days there at the Jordan River. And only after two full days does he make the trek all the way back to Bethany, which is several days' journey. And by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus, the brother, was not only sick, he had died and was not only dead, he had been buried for four days in a stone tomb. Now, if you're Mary and Martha, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about Jesus? Right? Can I bring it home? If I'm Paul Nichols, me, and I've experienced some stuff, and I had prayed, I had prayed, Let's go back to Peter and use that example. We had prayed, we had fasted, we had laid hands, we had spoken to the devil, we had cast stuttering out, we had read scriptures to him, we had done things not for days, not for weeks, not for months, but for years, and he's still stuttering. How are you feeling about Jesus? You following? So Mary and Martha, Jesus shows up, and it says in John eleven twenty, when Jesus shows up into the city, now Martha... As soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, listen to this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of you ever felt that way? If we're honest. You know, it's important, even if your perspective is wrong, it's important to be honest with Jesus. Don't sweep it under your little religious carpet to try to pretend that, oh, praise the Lord. No, you need to let him know what you're really feeling. Don't stay there. Allow the Lord to change your perspective. 
But this thing is about being real. And, and, and she said, if you, had not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Don't you care about Lazarus? And then it says, 11 verses later, Mary, the other sister, gets word that Jesus has shown up on the scene. In verse 32, it says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want to tell you those words, those that channel of thought has been in the minds of probably every single believer at some point or another in the course of following Jesus. Jesus, why didn't you do it? I want to say to you this morning, as I said before, there's a reason that Jesus had to stay in that tomb throughout all of Saturday before he rose on Sunday. It was to say of assurance that this situation is dead. It's not flirting with death. It's not on the border. It's dead, and it's been dead. And if you pick up the story with Lazarus here, in, in verse 38 of chapter 11, it says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, he came to the tomb where Lazarus was. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. My friend on the NCMI team, Ian McKellar, says this, that a lot of people say that Jesus tends to come through in the 11th hour, and that's actually not right. He comes at 12.05. He comes after the bell is rung, after it's all over, after it's dead, there's no more hope. How did the disciples feel when Jesus was buried in that tomb? I mean, we basically know they straightaway forgot all about the resurrection. They are fully depressed, humiliated. They've given everything to follow this guy, and he's dead, and we are idiots. That's, that's the reality of this thing, of, of what precedes the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives. It feels hopeless. And she's saying his body is, is, is stinking because it's been dead for, buried for four days. But he brings life to things no matter how bad. It says in verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I believe with all humility this morning that to our areas of death in our lives, those things that feel hopeless, those things that make you feel despaired, where you struggle with your faith, where perhaps even there could be a boiling resentment towards the Lord. Lord, why would you allow this to happen? And I believe that Jesus is saying to you this morning and to me this morning, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Can I tell you something about this, Jesus? Because circumstances don't tell you an accurate picture at all about Jesus. Circumstances tell, tend to twist our, our thoughts and to pervert who Jesus really is. And if you're trying to identify Jesus through the circumstances you're walking through, you're not going to be seeing the Jesus that I know and that the scripture tells us about. But Isaiah 61, 
This scripture that Jesus quotes when he begins his ministry, that tells us a whole lot about the real Jesus. And can I tell you a little bit about who this Jesus really is from the words that he quoted at the beginning of his ministry in Isaiah 61? According to his words, to the poor, Jesus brings good news. To the brokenhearted, Jesus brings healing. To those who are bound, Jesus proclaims freedom, and I can testify. To those who are uh, captive, Jesus opens the prison door. I actually reverse those. It's the captive, he proclaims freedom, and to those who are bound, he opens up the prison door. To the, to the one who mourns, he comforts and establishes. From those things that look burnt to the ground and are ashes, mere ashes, he brings beauty. To the mourner, he gives the oil of joy. To the heavy heart, he gives the garment of praise. This is Jesus. This is what he does. This is his specialty. And from all of those things that I just mentioned, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the bound, the mourner, those who have ashes, the heavy heart, from all of those people, he makes to be his righteousness in the earth and he makes them to become rebuilders of the ruins in this earth your thing that you're walking through is opportunity for Jesus to not only cause there to be a testimony in your life but for you to actually be sent as his anointed ambassador to go help other people how many of you want that can we can we just close our eyes perhaps this morning